Welcome into another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. It is Tuesday, September the 15th. I'm Neil McCready, Chris Landry with me as well as always. We are, uh, what is it now, 11 days from the start of the SEC football season. Just one more weekend to go without SEC football. And then it certainly appears the SEC is going to kick off a couple of games at 11 a.m. on that Saturday, Florida at Ole Miss. Kentucky at Auburn and then everybody else gets going later that day should be a lot of fun and it looks like it's going to happen so Chris how are you yeah I am doing well and um, you know it's funny because we all said hey the SEC taking their time on the 26th doesn't that it kind of seem like oh boy I wish they'd be starting this week <laughs> like we would ready for those games to get started this week now yeah. that we've got a couple of weeks in and um, you know now now that things are going pretty well it's like Hold our breath. Let's get it started. Can we kind of move those games up a week so we can get them in as quick as possible? It's, <laughs> it's funny. You're exactly right because I think looking at it now, they probably could have could have done it this weekend coming up. But I, I've said this before, and I will, and people will learn this about me. I'm never going to be an apologist for the SEC, and in fact, I'm I'm often going to criticize the SEC because sometimes the SEC hypes itself in ways that are silly but they nailed this from the first day of the pandemic to today it's an a plus for that league there's there's simply no doubt about it it's an a plus for the league and they've handled it great look at the big look at the big 10 they're a mess look at the pac 12 which is an even bigger mess if that's possible and uh the sec has kind of handled it they've they've been methodical a lot of credit goes to Greg Sankey, the people in that office. And then, frankly, a lot of credit goes to all the ADs and the coaches. This is a league full of hyper-competitive human beings. And there are a lot of rivalries involved beyond the schools, people, all that stuff. These are, these are competitive people. And they have, probably reluctantly at times, put a lot of that on the back burner. And they have made sure that they navigated this potential PR disaster day by day, week by week. And again, look where they are. I mean, I'm covering a program that yesterday Lane Kiffin said, tested everybody, no positives, got a couple of guys still in quarantine, but it looks like, looks like we're going to be good. And that seems to be the sentiment sort of everywhere. And I, I think, I think the league not to get on a COVID thing, but I think the league deserves a ton of credit for how it's handled it. Yeah. Listen, I agree. And um, of course, for those of us that are just joining us, we've only a few shows in now, but people don't know Neil's covered the SEC and covered college football for a long time. My background, yeah, I grew up in the Deep South, went to school at LSU, coached at LSU, and grew up in South Louisiana. Uh, but as an NFL scout, I've been all around the country, and I do a lot of consulting work for college programs and teams. And I, I know people, administrators, coaches around the country, and I, I've, I've gotten to the point in this point in my life where – I don't really have – and we're doing an SEC show. I've done all the conference shows on on uh, the Landry Football Network at one time or another. Just time is is kind of limits to to everything I can do. So I, I don't really have favorites, um, and I'm with you. I'll be critical with when it's deserved, the coach or an administrator. The reality is the the common sense thing, if you're doing what's best, is you let this play out as far as you can. What does every – health experts say 
time gives you more information. Every day, every hour gives you more information. And that's what the SEC did, the ACC did, the Big 12 did. I give all three credit because they did it the right way. They said, let's go ahead. Let's see this through. The Big Ten, again, for political reasons, you know, did not want to play. And that's that's above the presidents. And I don't want to get into it anymore. We've done that before. But that's where we are. And now they're scrambling. They got egg on their face. And look, I, Neil, if they've got information, medical information, that's better than everybody else as an institution. And for the good, they should share it with everybody else. Because if there is a reason why none of us should be playing football, then, you know, speak up. Let us know it. But that's not the issue there. And that's the problem. And that's why we're there. But uh, I, I think the Big Ten is scrambling. They're running out of time to be factored into this uh, this season. Hey, what are your thoughts out there, folks? Remember, if you're listening to this in a podcast, you can watch us every Tuesday and Friday, 9 a.m. Central on Twitch TV, twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. Send us a question, a comment in the chat room. We'll address it right here. But, Neil, it's we're a little bit more than a week away from SEC games. Yep. We've had some games this week. I don't know how much you had a chance to watch, um, and certainly a lot that went on to respond to around the country in college football. That's going to be interesting to see how the SEC plays it out when they get started here in a w- little more than a week. I watched a good bit of, of uh, football over the weekend, both college and pro. I probably didn't watch anywhere close to as much as you watch, but uh, I, I watched a good bit. I watched uh, a good bit of Army and ULM, and I watched some Notre Dame-Duke. I watched a good bit of Georgia Tech-Florida State, which is a game I actually want to talk to you a little bit about. Uh, and I think that was about it. I ended up switching to some – I'm a huge – major league baseball fan as you know and by the end of the day saturday i was actually watching the cubs brewers game so i i didn't see the big cubs the- fan is neil mccready my partner yeah, big yeah. cubs fan. a cubs fan to the point that i don't have the emotional capacity for much else uh <laughs> but I, I i watched a good bit uh it was interesting talking to people around the country on sunday on monday you're hearing a lot of people saying hey you know this is going to be such a different year the, the stadiums aren't full. The sidelines look different. Uh, the the players didn't have, for the most part, spring. They didn't have a normal offseason by any stretch. The preseason was weird because of all the testing. And if you, you know, if you, if you had a contact, you had to sit out for two weeks and all of that stuff. And again, this isn't getting into COVID, but the point is it was a completely different preseason than anybody's ever had. Uh, you know, like my friend Jay Tate covers Auburn for Rivals.com. And Jay was talking about how they're, they're, there's guys at Auburn who have had to sit three weeks. Because if you had the positive, you had to sit for two weeks. And they made them literally not do anything. I talked to one of the Ole Miss players who uh, tested positive, And I said, could you work out or anything? And he said, no, because they, they told us, hey, we got to be careful. We got to make sure there's no you know heart issues or whatnot. And so you had to sit around. Well, anybody who's ever sat for two weeks knows that you lose some conditioning in two weeks. Even if you're a finely tuned athlete, in two weeks, you lose a little bit. You get it back quickly, but you lose a little bit. And then you have a week that you have to be reacclimated 
In other words, at practice, you don't get to jump right in and take all the reps that you would normally take. Now you're just taking a few reps and, and the, the coaches have to listen to the medical people and say, okay, that's, that's enough for him today. And so you're not as prepared. And a lot of people believe, and Chris, you, you know football far better than I would, so I, I want to get your thoughts here. A lot of people believe that's going to, in many cases, level the playing field a little bit. It's going to make the, quote, favorites, end quote, more susceptible to upsets, especially early in the season when teams don't necessarily have the rhythm that they would normally have had they had a normal preseason camp. There's no question that while people tend to focus on who's going to miss a game, like, you know, it was big news Saturday, Georgia Southern, 33 players out of the game against Campbell. That is huge news. What is not covered so much or understood as much as how many players are missed in practice, just what you said. So it is the preparation. You play like you practice, you practice like you play. And people say, oh, no, because they're guys that are gamers and are not good practice players. And you have a bad week of practice and you play well and good week of practice and you play poor. There are reasons for that. But if you don't have guys available to practice, if guys have to sit out, as you mentioned, not only do they lose their cardiovascular shape and got to work back in, it is you lose the rhythm of practice. You lose the ability to apply your trade. So if you can't get foot to foot as an offensive lineman and run block and pass block, you're more susceptible to have issues. So those things that occur at the beginning of the year may become more of a factor throughout the year if you have a lot of misses. Now, Let's hope that it's contained. It looks like some places are in a world of shape. I mean, I don't know what's going on at Texas Tech. They got issues all the time with guys. I, I mean, I don't know, testing or, you know, not protecting. But, but when you have that, it's going to have an, a, a, der- a deleterious effect on your season. Here's Let's take Texas Tech for an example because I think they're a good one. Here's the good news for Texas Tech. It's basically over. 67. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is not to get into a COVID conversation, but this is the subject of COVID that nobody's touching. The, the immunity now. Those guys don't have to be tested for three months. They've got 60-some-odd guys that have gotten it and recovered, and they don't have to get tested for, for three months. They've got six guys that are right now positive that have to go through the acclimation and all of that stuff. It's So it's going to be a twofold thing for Texas Tech, and a lot of programs like Texas Tech. On one hand, you're through with it. You literally can quit worrying about it. On the other hand, you have all these guys that I would imagine their preseason has been an absolute cluster. They don't have any real continuity at all. They're, they would be a team that if you were a betting person early in the year, I'd kind of bet against Texas Tech. That I would not anticipate that they would be all that prepared as a, as a football team. But you're going to see a lot of that. There's a lot of programs that have had a lot of COVID issues in July and into August, and they're kind of through it now, but it affected their preparation. I would worry a little bit, and it gets an individual case, though, if you test positive, you know, you have some that, hey, no big deal. had the sniffles, didn't bother me, great. But the guy that just is like, well, like a bad flu 
and is out for six days, dehydrated, and is on his back, and even some young people, you know, may be affected by that, then sure. that guy is two, three weeks from getting back to some of the things you're talking about, normalcy, that that's going to create problems. And so you have that, and you have that two, three, four, five cases well, then you're constantly trying to get, and before you know it, you look up, it's November 15th and you're halfway through the season and yeah, you got it over, but you lost it. You, you lost guys and you lost practice time. And by the way, Texas Tech did not lose Saturday night, but they sure as heck could have lost because they were outplayed by Houston Baptist. I mean, it was absolutely a mess there and this on the heels as Kansas was getting beat for the second year in a row against Coastal Carolina Iowa State getting handled by Louisiana Lafayette and Kansas State getting beat by a very good Arkansas State team it wasn't a good uh, but Texas Tech Neil I don't think many people were able to see it I looked at the tape Houston Baptist Houston Baptist folks really had them beat. Texas Tech should have probably lost that game. So, and don't think that some of the issues of preparation with Texas Tech had an effect there. Still, we're talking about a a massive mismatch in terms of talent even even regardless who Tech had. But that's my point. That's 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 what I'm kind of getting at a little bit is I I just think I think teams are going to be susceptible especially early because they you know how football is. Football is a, from a program standpoint, is a root is a there's a rhythm. You you know in January you start lifting and, and all that stuff. It's an off season and you get into the spring and you have a spring and you get out of the spring and you take a little break and then you come back in June and July. You're ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. You take a week off and then you come back in August and you have camp and you start to taper down the camp. And then you get into about 10 days of, of season prep and then boom, kickoff. They didn't have any of that. Yeah, you have some injuries and stuff with a normal camp. This is a totally different deal. I just think teams are susceptible. And I think you saw that on, on the first weekend. And I think you're going to see it throughout. It, it's why I don't know how many upsets we'll see in week one in the SEC. I mean, I, I'm not sitting here saying, hey, Georgia's going to be in trouble at Arkansas. I, I don't think that. But I bet some teams look funny. I bet some teams look different than what we expect because of the just the erratic camps that they've had. I, I think follow folks as much as you can. People like Neil that cover programs very, very well. Pay attention to who misses practice time and how much time. Don't just get locked into, well, is he going to be ready on Saturday? Uh, the answer is he's going to play on Saturday, but he's not going to be ready on Saturday. How much practice time do they miss? That's going to be real key. It was a um, really bad week for the Big 12. I, You know, we can make too much of it. Kansas is not very good. Texas Tech, we kind of went through the issues. Those were you know, issues, but I tell you what really surprised me. And I have a lot of respect for Billy Napier. And I know you, as you do at Louisiana Lafayette, they just punched Iowa state, a physical team, a good team in the mouth. And you wonder a little bit, you want to give all credit 
to Louisiana Lafayette because certainly they're having to deal with some of the same issues that everybody else. That's the thing. You don't know who's who's dealing with it internally a little bit more than most. But then D.J. Looney, they lose D.J. Looney, 31-year offensive line coach, dies of a heart attack on practice several weeks ago. And then they go into Ames, Iowa, and beat what I think is a talented Iowa State team, a, been a well-coached team under Matt Campbell. Yeah. And it wasn't any fluke. I mean, they just they just kind of they just took it to them. And then Kansas State, and I like what Chris Kleiman is doing, but I like Blake Anderson, what he's doing at Arkansas State. And you know his story from last year, lost his wife, lovely wife, Wendy, to, to cancer last year. But Arkansas State, Sun Belt, rise up. Big 12, bad week. Um, certainly – uh, not the start that the and I and let's give all the credit in the world to Texas and Oklahoma. They were real impressive. We can get into that a little bit, but uh, the 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 others in the league didn't look so good. Let me ask you this because the odds are, are are pretty high that Oklahoma or Texas at the end of the season is going to have a really gaudy record. But this year, because of the way schedules are done, there's no way to play outside of your league really and prove yourself. You know, I mean, Oklahoma doesn't get a a game with Tennessee or or Georgia or something to go. Hey, look, yeah, the Big Twelve sucked, but that we we showed what we could do this year. It appears the Big Twelve sucks, and if you're Oklahoma or or Texas, and if you're Oklahoma or Texas, you're certainly hoping that the other Oklahoma or Texas stays good and looks good because you're going to need a quality win in there somewhere. Do you worry a little bit from a, a – I know we're way away from a playoff and all of that, but that strength of schedule could impact you in, in such a way that if you just have one stumble somewhere, if you end up, you know, 9-1, and 10-1 and one instead of 11-0, and 0, that that one stumble could, could cost you a spot in the playoff because the rest of the league was so bad? I don't think so, Neil. Not if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 don't play. I mean, you're eliminate right now. I think the bigger problem is going to be trying to find four that are. I mean, they're, they'll be searching. Oklahoma's in really good shape, and, I, and what I mean by that is they'll get in. If they if they end up unbeaten, if they end up with one loss against Texas and have to, you know, would have to beat Texas. Um, you know, I think they're fine. If Texas were to go unbeaten or one loss, I think they'd be in the mix. Now, would they definitely get in? Well, obviously, it depends on what else happens. I, I don't think there's a second team out of the ACC. I think there could be two out of the SEC. They got a spot open. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's you take care of business in the Big 12 this year, you're in. And now, now, we all know that Oklahoma's not fared well once they've gotten into the playoffs. But to be honest with you, who has outside of the SEC and Clemson? That's it. You know, so everybody, I mean, you know, the, the Big 12 is, I mean, I think they're safely in. You could have made a case to keep Oklahoma out last year. You can't make that case this year. I mean, you know, it just, I don't think there's going to be anybody. I just don't think we're going to have four, Neil. I'm, my concern is we're going to have two, and then we're going to have like six that, they all look undeserving, but you got to pick, hold your nose and pick two of them to fit in. And, and that's the way I think it's going to play out this year. So we're jumping around, but I take it from your comments that you don't believe the Big Ten is going to get started on October the 17th. I don't think so. Uh, I hope so. 
I just think they're running out of, well, I mean, I know we all hope and so I just, they're running out of time. I mean, if they were going to do that, that quote unquote meeting and vote yeah. Sunday, we're doing this show live on Tuesday. If you're, you're listening to this later in the week, this is Tuesday morning. I don't hear anything. There's no, there's no puff of white smoke coming out of a Chicago's big 10 office to tell us, I mean, we're September 15th. I mean, you don't just, I mean, oh, they're practicing. No, they're, they're some big 10 teams are practicing. They're practicing in a spring like practice. They're not getting ready for games. I, if they decided today, this afternoon that they're playing, I don't know that they can get it done for October 7th. I don't think they can start October 17th if they decided today. And I don't get the impression, Neil, maybe you do that. I think there's pressure, PR pressure. Look. The NFL is doing it. Look, the other conferences are doing it. Look, you look like idiots. But I think what they're going to do is put their best foot forward to say, we did, we looked at it, we studied it, but we just weren't comfortable with the testing. And, you know, without saying it this way, we just care more about our student athletes than everybody else. So, no, I don't think it's going to happen. And I hope I'm wrong. Because I want to see them play. I think Ohio State is a legitimate national championship caliber team. And I don't think they're going to get a chance to play it. And if they start in November, Pac-12, Big Ten, uh, Big Ten you're not going to be able to play enough games to, to fit in, in my mind. It, I, I, there's so much to get to. and But I, I, here's what's frustrating to me about that. If you're going to say we're not playing – you have to answer why you're not playing. And if the reason you're not playing is that you don't think it's safe, yet everybody else is doing it safely. <laughs> That's right. So, so if you say we we don't view it to be safe, you then have to turn around and say, and we think they are making a mistake by playing. That's <laughs> yeah, we you know, we we, we feel in our Big Ten corridor that the 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 COVID problem is worse than everywhere else. That's 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 what you're having. And we're not comfortable with no, they're gonna couch it to make themselves look superior and high and mighty. But this is a PR disaster that no one is buying. People are starting to see through it now that it is political. I've mentioned that time and time again. We mentioned that on our first show that this is very political. And that's where it's it's you know they're going to want to make a concerted effort to say, look, we did, you know, now we did everything we could. But the reality is that's if they were really interested in playing Neil, they would have delayed it like the other conferences and said, let's let's do everything we can to try to get it in. And then if we're sit there and then that's October 15th and the, the fall is slipping through our fingers, we can say we did everything we could. Well, they are not going to do everything they could. There's a reason why they don't want to play. And the hiding behind it is unsafe. That's only part of the story. And they don't want you And there. I think PR wise and from a litigation standpoint, there are people up the rear end trying to get, look at the by, bylaws, mainly Thomas Mars, who's the famous attorney, that is just the enemy of the NCAA and, uh, and, and institutions on rights of players and what have you. 
they're starting to sniff this out and smoke them out. And I think it's becoming an embarrassing situation. And to your point, you're so right. Kevin Warren may be a buffoon, but he's a stooge that's been put in that position. Yeah, he's just a puppet. That this is this is the people in the ivory towers are not going to come out and answer the questions. And that's the force of this, because if you listen to the James Franklin, the Ryan days and the Jim Harbaugh's of the world, they're the ones that have to turn to the players and their families and say why they're not playing. And they don't have the answer because no one's really told them other than it's not safe. All right. I'm going to ask you about Billy Napier in just a moment, because his, his situation is interesting to me. And, the fact that he's still at Louisiana Lafayette is interesting to me, but we'll get to that in a second. First, I want to tell you, I want to welcome Jupiter Security Systems to uh, the SEC Football and Beyond podcast. Jupiter Security Systems based in Madison, Mississippi. They provide your business with a help desk, allowing you to get software at a much cheaper price than you would pay going directly to Microsoft or the different cybersecurity services. Jupiter Security Systems offers businesses the full Microsoft 365 suite, email spam protection, and they monitor workstations and servers. Now, it's not big brother. Jupiter doesn't see your data, uh, but they'll know if malicious applications get installed on your computers. They can set up remote monitoring on a computer regardless of the location. So don't spend money on getting your employees new laptops to work remotely. Let Jupiter monitor their home computers and protect your data wherever you choose to work. Jupiter Security Systems offers cybersecurity and monitoring. It's ADT for your computer systems and data. It's very affordable with a flat price, no hidden add-ons. For more information, call Eric at 601-519-9583 or email info, that's info, at jupitersecurity.net or visit jupitersecurity.net. All right, so let's talk Billy Napier. I would have bet last early last November that Billy Napier was going to be an SEC head coach in 2020. The job that, frankly, I thought he was going to take, I thought he was going to be offered and I thought he was going to take the Mississippi State job. That did not come to pass. Mississippi State had a uh, plan to move on, and then the Egg Bowl happened, the, one of the weirdest games that I've ever seen. And, and, and the Egg Bowl led two schools, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, to get emotional and to make decisions that I don't think they intended to make going into that game. History will show whether those were the right decisions or not. We're not to that place yet. But Mississippi State ultimately elected to allow – their coach to stay on and then the month between the egg bowl and the uh i guess the music city bowl where they played louisville if i remember correctly was kind of a nightmare had a lot of off the field stuff had a fight inside the program where the quarterback had his eye socket damaged to the point that he couldn't play in that game there was a lot there and after that loss they moved on and conducted a coaching search that ended in, in Mike Leach. And maybe Mike Leach will end up setting the, the house on fire at Mississippi State. Again, we'll, time will tell. But I'm still a little bit surprised to this day that it's not Billy Napier. And 
So I'm, I'm going to ask you, because I know you know Billy, and I know you're familiar with a lot of the things that happen behind the scenes in searches, what happened there? And could Mississippi State, was there a scenario in play where Mississippi State could have hired Billy Napier? I think there was. Uh, I know there was interest. I know they made a run at him. I know that he was interested. I don't think he was at the end of it, the process, and you kind of enumerated, so I won't repeat it, of some of the issues that took place that I think was a little bit um, concerning is maybe too strong a word, but I think when, when you're a coach and you're in a position like somebody like Billy Napier, and people will immediately say, well, wait a minute. Well, why would you stay at Louisiana Lafayette and turn down an SEC job like Mississippi State? Well, I don't, I don't think you would if you feel comfortable. I think, I think that you would leave Louisiana Lafayette to go to Mississippi State if you felt comfortable with the presentation and you felt comfortable with where they were. I think there were some issues that regardless of what you think, coaches look at it differently that maybe, all right, look, they, the Moorhead situation and how that was, the whole process took place and the, just what you said, the, okay, they're, they're going to stay with their coach, then they're going to get rid of their coach. That is not, when you have that type of change, drastic change in your philosophy, what it says to coaches out there is, man, they're they're on a they're on a whim on whether they want to keep their guy, they're in their guy. And it's kind of like it comes, I hate to put it this way, it comes across as a flighty girlfriend that you really don't know what you're dealing with. And that may not be the reality behind the scenes, but that may be how it comes across. And I think with Billy, it was, you know what? I got a good job. I'm gonna stay until I've got something that I'm comfortable with. So, in other words, I do think he would be interested in a Mississippi State type job if maybe the timing and the circumstances would have made, you know, would have been a little bit more normal and he felt a little bit more comfortable. No fault of anybody, I guess. It was just everybody's trying to do what's best for each side. And I just didn't think he felt real comfortable. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. The other thing is any coach I think looks at it is if I go somewhere. I leave Louisiana Lafayette. If you're Matt Campbell and I leave Iowa State, A, you got to be careful. You need to make sure that you strike where the iron's hot and you can get one of those jobs. But if you if you get a quote-unquote better job than what you have, it better be a job that you can win and sustain or else you're going to fall off the map because the hottest, prettiest girl on the block, you know, all of a sudden starts to have wrinkles and there's another, you know, pretty hottie that goes up there, right? So you better be careful. And if you're not comfortable with it from an administrative standpoint, if you're not comfortable that you can win there, I think it's a legitimate question. So, you know, would you go, for example, and I'm not saying that'd be an opening or anything, but if you're Billy Napier, would you go and take maybe a comparable ACC job where you could win more? Or you go to Mississippi State where, you know, you might do a good job, but if you don't win like Dan Mullen did, you're not going to be hot anymore. All right, let me put you on the spot because there's a rumor in coaching circles that the job that Billy Napier has targeted 
and the job that he thinks he can get, and now COVID might push this back a year, is South Carolina. Well, that's a place, again, fits into the category of an athletic director that's been very supportive of their coach, back Will Mustang. If that comes open, it doesn't mean that he's saying, well, South Carolina's a better job than Mississippi State. Well, I think what it means is I think he would feel like that South Carolina not only has the resources, but maybe he feels more comfortable with the search and the people involved, not just the athletic directors, but other people. I think that that would be a job he would consider, yes. But I think he would also – he also considered Mississippi State. It didn't work out. And, again, different circumstances, different timing. Maybe that job was a job he might have taken in a different year. You know what I mean? But I think that South Carolina um, – keep in mind, he coached at Clemson. He's very familiar with South Carolina. And I think there's a comfort level there that maybe just quite wasn't there with Mississippi State. It's the best I can give you with what I think. It's so often timing, and I do think he would have an interest if that job came up and when and, when and if it did. Why do you think Will Muschamp has been unable to he's – he's done some good things at Carolina. He's had some good years. Why do you think he's been unable to just kind of get – over that hump he's kind of gotten to the hump and not quite past it is it a program limitation is it something he's doing uh is it just the fact that you're in the same division with with georgia and and florida and tennessee and you're in the same state with clemson how much of south carolina's quote struggles are outside of south carolina's control well, some of it is the biggest thing. Let's take Will. The biggest thing that he struggled with is his staff. He's not been able to have stability. And when you don't hire well, you lack stability in your staff. And he's never been able to figure out offenses. Florida, South Carolina. Has he recruited well? Yeah, he's recruited pretty well relative to what South Carolina is and his, his tradition, what have you. Uh, but why can't they run the football at South Carolina? Why can't they be more physical? Because they're going to be a defensive team, run play action. They can't figure it out on offense. That staff, that has been a problem. And then a mistake leads to another hire, which is another mistake, and then the lack of continuity, and it's just it's a snowball downhill. That's the biggest issue. And Will, unlike his mentor, Nick Saban, doesn't have that real feel for how an offense should look and where to go and find somebody that can, you know, cook the meal that way. He doesn't do a good job of that, and he hasn't at Florida, South Carolina. So, yeah, is he recruited great? No, but he's recruited well. Um, I think the pro that is the reason why his program's a little bit inconsistent. They'll win a big game that makes it well, and then they will really – underachieve and they struggle with a lot of decisions I think that Will has gotten better but I think he struggled with some decisions sideline decisions in-game management decisions blew the North Carolina game last year beginning of last year I know that was eons ago now but that was North Carolina's rise I mean they came back and remember it wasn't Sam Howell who's had five games under his belt Sam Howell who's just you know barely started to shave you know coming out of high school that just brought that team from behind, that is complete collapse. Those are things 
that are combining. Now, as I've said before, does South Carolina have limitations? Of course they do. They've won one conference title, 1969 in the ACC. That's it. Paul Dietzer. They have not been able to do, you know, so you're not going to win conference titles there, but I think you can be more consistent, more stable. As we said in our East preview a couple of weeks ago, why can't they have the same consistency that, say, Kentucky's having with Mark Stoops, where you look at that program and say, getting a lot out of that program. You look at South Carolina and you don't get the same feel, even though it's not, hey, boy, why aren't they winning the conference? No one's been able to do that. Not Steve Spurrier, not Lou Holtz. No one's been able to do that. But that's, I think, the Holtz and Spurrier both won big at Carolina. They both had they, they both had big. They years. did. They went, they've done better than what Will's been able to do, no doubt. But they they've not been able to win a conference title. There is what I mean. Yeah, and this is going to rub people the wrong way. We've t- we've touched on this. There are programs in the league that can have quote great years that don't include a conference title. Some of some of winning a conference title is having to have some help from the outside. The truth is there aren't, but I mean, if we're being totally frank about it, the programs in the league that have proven that they can go win the league regardless of what else is happening in the league, Alabama, LSU, Florida to a degree, Georgia's basically there. Georgia looks looks like a national championship caliber team, even though they haven't done it. That's it. Yeah, and every, look, other, every other team in the league, every other team in the league has to have some help. You can even Auburn, as great of a program as Auburn is, as storied a program as Auburn is, it's been proven over time that man, if Alabama's maxed out and LSU's maxed out, it's gonna be hard to get there. And the other thing, all that said about Will, let's throw on top of that. The cherry on top is Clemson. Clemson. So Lou and Spurrier didn't have this Clemson to go up against. So they are completely swallowed by Clemson in that state and then nationally, and they've got no chance to win that game. So you're, you know, and it's not just, it's South Carolina's a really good quality terms of quality prospects in the state not not great numbers but good it's a little bit louisiana-ish in terms of that they're not they're not beating players and and yet so i think they're doing a good job recruiting all things considered when you it's clearly clemson in south carolina and i know south carolina that wasn't the case i mean oh steve spurrier but awfully not to win that state championship. So when you're at South Carolina and you're Lou Holtz and you're Steve Spurrier, you can beat Clemson and you can go to a nice bowl game. You're right. You're getting it done. Now, good luck getting the South Carolina job where at best you're probably going to finish third in the East if the other programs are doing it well. And you got no chance of beating Clemson. So no state championship. You know, it's that that can cure a lot of things when you win that game. You know that. Sure. You live in a state with the Egg Bowl. Sure. That game means a whole lot. You just enumerated it for our audience of what it meant for both coaches. That's where Mississippi State likely made a mistake. Mississippi, <laughs> state, went in, Mississippi state went into the Egg Bowl intending, pardon me, intending to fire Joe Moorhead the next day. That's right. They they were they had 
already <laughs> begun to plan the press conference. They were going to fire Joe Moorhead the next day. And then that game, because of the rivalry and because of the way particularly, well, both programs have. Both programs have, have let the, the, the rivalry get toxic. And so it's become very emotional. And it's there, the, the chancellor there at, at uh, Mississippi State, who's done a, a remarkably good job with recruiting in-state kids academically. I'm not talking about athletics. Academically, right, right. It's made it where I, I think they win the lion's share of, of in-state recruiting battles for academic kids. That rivalry is, means a lot to him. He's built a lot around it. And that game comes down to the final literally seconds. Ole Miss scores a touchdown with four seconds left to uh, pull within one point, and you you think, hey, they're going to overtime, and then the the penalty happens, and all the emotion of the penalty, and then Luke Logan misses the thirty five yard extra point, and the place goes crazy, and it's this emotional victory, and in the immediate after the aftermath of that, he says, we can't do it, and man, that's in coaching. In the coaching world, that's a mistake. That, yeah. To use your girlfriend analogy, when you make up your mind that you're breaking up with your girlfriend and you're going to do it that night, and then you just can't quite do it, and so you don't, you do know the relationship's dead, right? It's you're over. Delaying the inevitable. It's over. And so now all that's going to happen is your next few times that you guys get together, you go out to dinner or whatnot, there's going to be this awkwardness inside your dynamic that may not have been there before. It was an error. It was it was much like it's it's amazing how it happens. We're jumping around. That's okay. We we don't have SEC football just yet. We're getting there. It's much like what happened at Ole Miss in 2017 with Matt with Matt Luke. Ole Miss was going to move on from Matt Luke. That's right. They, they were going. To, Matt Luke was an interim coach. The Hugh Freeze thing had happened, and Matt Luke had done a really yeoman's job of holding the team together in the fall right. of 2017. And they go to Mississippi State. They're a prohibitive underdog. Nick Fitzgerald breaks his leg in the first quarter, mm. and uh, Ole Miss played one of its better football games. Jordan Tamu was terrific most of that night. Uh, DK Metcalf had a big play, if I recall. I mean, there was there was a lot there. Uh, Ole Miss had some weapons in that game, and they used them. And Ole Miss wins the game. And in the aftermath of that, the the chancellor at the time, Jeffrey Vitter, who was fighting to hang on to his job, gets some pressure from basically local people and some boosters and such to, you know, boy, has a big win, and he's got us going in the right direction. And, uh, you know, we we sure would like it if if Matt, Got the job. They, you can't hire anybody better than that. So Ross Bjork, who at the time was Ole Miss's athletics director, was going to hire Dave Doran at NC State. He was Whatever you think of Dave Doran, Dave Doran was going to be the coach at Ole Miss, and he was going to take the job at Ole Miss sight unseen, regardless of what was happening with sanctions. And I think Bjork viewed Doran as, A, his guy, and B, a stable guy, a guy who could come in, could bring in an established staff, could kind of, you know, 
brace for the hit that was coming from the NCAA, get through it, and get the program over the bridge. Instead, they make an emotional decision. They hire Matt Luke. And Matt Luke never coached a day, not one day, as the head permanent head coach at Ole Miss, not one day with the full support of everybody. And if you as an SEC coach or a Power 5 coach, you never have a honeymoon, good luck, bud. No, it was. It is. It, it was. Hey, by the way, um, one thing I will say about that game, and it has caused some – some bad decisions on both sides. I, I've mentioned this Thanksgiving weekend for the past two or three years, maybe even longer. Kudos to both of those schools and just the Egg Bowl because they've taken the mantle of a rivalry that was nasty and ugly and tough in the SEC and all of us, you and I and a lot of people in the South know it. They've taken that and they've opened it up nationally as these guys don't like each other. It is because think about it. Remember Thanksgiving Day games, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Texas, yeah. Texas A&M. Now it's like, hey, good for Ole Miss Mississippi State because, Neil, if it's one of those, you know, 20 games on rivalry weekend, people are not noticing it. Oh, they'll show the highlight. But now it, it's here's the thing. When you shine the light on it and you have a dog being incident it, it it's maybe not the light you want shown on it but that has become the game on thanksgiving weekend in college football and and congrats to the folks in the magnolia state for at least getting that well what's going to be interesting with the egg bowl this year is number one it's not the final game mm -mm. and number two the two coaches <laughs> like each other they're friends they they there's there's not a – I mean, look, Lane Kiffin wears Ole Miss stuff, and Mike Leach wears Mississippi State stuff, but Lane Kiffin doesn't hate Mississippi State. No, no, he doesn't have that. No, it's – it's hate Ole Miss. He's going to have to pretend that he does, but he doesn't. And so the dynamic of the coaches in that deal – because yeah. <laughs> Let me interrupt and say, though, you better damn win that game, regardless. You're the head coach either side. They may not hate each other, but professionally, they ain't gonna like each other when this is done. I'm telling. I mean, if it's gonna start, you know what I mean by that. Well, you better win that win that game. Then we just, you know, that flips the season around for you. There's gonna be real pressure on on Leach to get active in the anti Ole Miss type stuff. And I don't know that that's his nature, but we'll see. It'll be fun. It, it that game, the rivalry, the rivalry's a good. It's a, it's a, it's made for television. Both programs, though, and I think they both know it. The last couple of years, it's become for the rest of the country. Hey, there's that funny show. We can laugh at it, and then we'll get on to the other stuff. And for both Ole Miss and State, I think the rivalry that they want to get back to is, you know, 2014, 2015, when that game was not only, you know, a standout game, but that game was nationally relevant. It was league relevant. There was stuff on the line. And it'll be interesting to see whether Leach and or Kiffin can get their programs back to that place. It's going to take some time, but uh, they're, they're both proven, proven head coaches in a league full of proven head coaches. Hey, before the show gets away from us, I had some thoughts. I want to talk a little bit about um, Clemson. I know it's Wake Forest. Wake Forest has got a couple of good defensive players. Clemson, 
and Trevor Lawrence was outstanding. They had, uh, and I want to overreact to it. You know, it's one week and we'll see, but they kind of got a little bit of an edge. A lot of young guys now that, Hey, you know, it's our chance. We haven't won it. And Trevor Lawrence looked focused. The whole part of how he started last year, where it was, you know, uh, forcing things, boy, he was very poised, showed good leadership. Going to be awfully tough, awfully tough for anybody to beat Clemson. Florida State, Georgia Tech was really intriguing to me. Here's what I saw in that game when I looked at the tape, and I got the complete breakdown on LandryFootball.com, the grades of all the players and everything in the game. It's the second year of a Georgia Tech program under Jeff Collins that they're – trying to figure out what it is that they have an idea what needs to be done, how it needs to be done. And they got a good quarterback. That's a true freshman. Meanwhile, at Florida state, Mike Norvell has some work to do. He's going to have to continue to clean out the mess that was left from them. You got players that are still doing their own thing and they're not ultra talented all across that roster. They've got some good players on defense that are going to play next level, and they're playing for the next level and not for Florida State. Mike's going to have to change that culture, and and I know Jeff didn't have to change the culture at Florida at Georgia Tech. He had to change the philosophical approach with, you know, and no tight ends on his roster and all those offensive guys for the option and now playing defense. I think to keep that in mind, I think Mike Norvell will do a good job at Florida State. I just don't think it's going to result in a lot of wins this year, personally. How did Jimbo leave that program in such shambles? Well, you know, the 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 issue was Jimbo got frustrated. And again, I'm not saying he's right on this. In fact, I think he's wrong on it. He got frustrated with the administration. They, they're not a big money school for people who don't know. Florida State doesn't have the big booster money. And Jimbo has been saying, look, you want to beat Clemson? Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're building. Look at what they're raising. Look at what they're spending. You want me to be like Clemson? You want me to be like Alabama? You want me to be like LSU? You want me to be like Auburn? Then act like it. Well, they don't have a good fundraiser and they can't do this and they can't do that. And he's fighting all that. And I think he let go of the rope. He stopped recruiting. And I think halfway through that last season, his buddy, Scott Woodard, was the right-hand man to Mark Emmert at LSU when Jimbo was the offensive coordinator. That deal for him to go to AM was done. That was a sweetheart deal that was done early in the season. And Jimbo said, I'm not dealing with it. Now, I don't like that. Jimbo's a good friend. Business, though. That's the way That's the way it works. Yeah, yeah, but here's the thing. You don't quit on your team. You don't stop recruiting. You do your job. You get paid. I fully support him leaving to, for a better job with more money. And don't tell me, well, Florida State's a better – no, no, no. Just because Bobby Bowden won titles, that's A&M's it. a better job because they got more money. That's where I was going. Jimbo deserved to, he should go there, but don't quit on your team. Don't stop recruiting. So that's the answer to your question. So that's where the negativity started. And then the disaster hire of Willie Taggart, because they can't afford to spend money. They end up getting a guy that they will sold. Oregon could not wait to kick out Willie Taggart after one year. And they're infinitely better with Mario Cristobal. 
And so two years of Willie Taggart put them further down the, 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 the bad path. And now I think they've got a good coach, but there's a ceiling. You want to know when Florida State's going to catch Clemson? That ain't happening now because they let Clemson get too far ahead. And I can't tell people, you know, you, you, you can't afford Alexis. You're not good. No, you do what you can do, but understand who you are, Florida State. If you think that you're going to do it the way Bobby did it, it's not the way it is today. It's a big money world, and you're going to have to take the ACC money, which Clemson's getting, plus all the IPTE money. And you, the only way is Clemson's going to have to come back to the pack. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. No. It's, it's one of the reasons that – and I, I agree with you about Norvell. I think Mike Norvell's a really good coach. Look at what he did at Memphis. It's, 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 it speaks for itself. I don't think the Florida State job's an elite job. I don't think the Florida State job's a top 15 job. I don't. And everybody says, oh, well, look at what the Florida. Everybody recruits Florida. Just because you're there at Florida State doesn't mean that you get the top players in Florida. You got to compete against Florida. You got to compete against Georgia. You got to compete against the rest of the SEC. Alabama cherry picks the state of Florida. Uh, the Big Ten comes down into Florida. At least they did before they decided to not play football anymore. There's there's a lot there. I, I don't think that's a particularly good job. It was the only thing that makes it pretty good, Neil, is you got a clear path to second. Yeah, the ACC. Yeah, you do. But you're right. But you know that you don't have anything resembling a clear path to first. And and all right, we'll finish with this because I'm curious. I, I get this question sometimes and. Everybody loves to talk quarterbacks. There's all the talk in the NFL about different teams and whether they should or shouldn't tank for Trevor. Last year it was tank for Tua. This year it's tank for Trevor. When you look at Trevor Lawrence as a scout, as an analyst, and project him to the National Football League, what do you see? I see a tremendously gifted talent. Big, strong, got some ability to move his feet, slide in the pocket by some time. He's a run to throw guy, not a, not a run to run guy. I think he's maturing. I think we, we put the label on him. I remember going there the spring when he was, a, when he enrolled there early and the coaches are telling me, you know, uh, no, this is going to be our guy. He's, he's an alpha dog leader. He's an alpha dog leader. Uh, but we forget because he's so young. He's still learning last year was, he's going to have a lot to learn. I, I, he appears to be a good worker that loves the game. That's the key. That's the only variable to in health to greatness. And it's the only thing that could derail that bad health. Or if he's just a little bit laid back, if he's comfortable, you know, being good and maybe not doing the extra things that would limit his ceiling. Other than that, he's got everything you look for. And, um, Clear number one. I mean, he's he's not even a question that he'll be the number one pick in this draft and and deserving. And look, Jags are not tanking. They played their rear end off. You know, Miami didn't tank. If you're tanking, the people that are tanking are not going to be there, folks. You know? Yep. So become a good team, and you figure that out later, you can get them. You know, it's funny you mentioned that about him being an, an alpha. I can't, in 25 years of doing this, I can't count there's no way i can even try to even enumerate how many prospects i've talked to on the phone or uh in person at some camp or whatnot he's a kid that sticks out i remember talking to him when he was 
ninth grade? Cartersville, Georgia. Ole Miss offered him ninth grade-ish, I think. And somebody on that staff was like, hey, you ought to talk to that kid. He's he's legit. And I remember how impressive he was. And so I was like, man, I'm not calling some high school freshman. And I and I ended up calling him. And I, that interview sticks out in my mind because I remember just how impressive he was. So he's he obviously has the physical tools, but he's got – He's got that it factor that is hard to – you can't coach it. You can't, you can't instill it into a guy. You can't make a guy be a leader. You can, you can work on footwork and you can work on, you know, your ability to read defenses and recognize and some of those things. But you can't, you can't coach raw athleticism and you can't coach that stuff between the ears and inside the chest that makes somebody special that's right no you gotta want it and the 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 two things i always say neil just in 30 plus years of evaluating particularly at the quarterback position always ask this question and it better be high in these two areas what is the quarterback's capacity to learn and willingness to learn okay basically how smart and how dedicated is Better be high marks in both, really high. If you don't, thanks, but no thanks for me. All right, a fast NFL question because I'm just really curious. You mentioned that. Yeah. Daniel Jones last night with the Giants. It's his first year as the full-time starter. There's going to be growing pains there. He made some really bad rookie mistakes in that in that loss to the Steelers. If you're a Giants fan, do you just bite it, or is there reason to worry? No, look, I think the guy's got ability – to be a good quarterback and what I see him doing well can be replicated. You've got to do a better job with protection and you've got to do a better job around them. I I, listen, Trevor Lawrence's don't come around every day, Patrick. I mean, it just that many of them. This is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. You followed Eli Manning. This guy's got the physical skills and I think is willing to work Maybe not quite to the degree of Eli, but pretty close to it. There's no reason why, if you put him in an environment maybe close to what Eli did, that you could have similar results. I don't know if it's two Super Bowls, but really good. But they have continued to struggle with, I mean, right now, they're just makeshift at tackle. They can't protect. So, the I mean, it's very, very difficult. So, when the ball has to come out that quick, it's going to be inaccurate. And it's not, hey, boy, you, you force things, you get behind. Good luck. That's going to happen in all those cases. I think he'll be good. Not great. I think he'll be good. I thought about Eli Manning last night, sitting on a couch somewhere, probably in New Jersey with his with his wife and the kids and probably poured a glass of red. And I bet he watched that offensive line play and he said, gosh, it's never felt nicer to not be on a football field. Probably so. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, we'll wrap it there. We'll come back on Friday. We'll uh, we'll be eight days away from the SEC opener. We'll be ready for another weekend of college football. We'll talk about some of the games on the slate this weekend, and we'll start looking ahead to Week One in the SEC. For Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this episode of SEC Football and Beyond. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for being with us, and we'll talk to you again on Friday. All right, Chris. Hey, man, thanks. Great job. A lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed doing the show with you. You too. Talk to you soon, buddy. Uh, Take care. Bye-bye.